1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern.
2: Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland, in for Scott Wapner. This is the day after the massive market meltdown. Is it safe to buy on the big drop, or are we going to retest those June lows? Plus, tech getting wrecked, the number of mega cap names hitting new lows. We're going to debate how investors should position their portfolio from here, where we are today with that higher uh, than expected inflation. Our investment committee today, Carrie Firestone, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, and right here with me on SIT, Jim Labenthal. But first, let's get a check on the markets right now. Stocks posting. Some modest gains on the back of the latest PPI inflation data. But you got to remember, the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ, they're all on pace for their worst year right now since 2008. We're seeing all of them off their highs of the session. The Dow now up just about 71 points. Just a little bit ago, it was up over 100 points. The S&P and the NASDAQ um, still also off their highs. The NASDAQ, the best performer, up almost three-quarters of a percent. Yields on the rise as well. The 10-year hitting its highest level since mid-June. The yield on the two-year hitting its highest level since November of 2007. And as I mentioned, I'm joined right now by Jim Laventhal. Jim, I'm going to go to the way back Machine, not really, but I'm going to go back to Monday. Uh, you were on the show Monday, you had some, some comments. We all call you the farmer, you're also the forecaster. You said the rally is going to die pretty quickly if CPI comes in hot. It did. And you said if it happened, we're going below 4,000. It did. And then you said the bull case. It might be over, so I have to ask not, you. Not wait, wait, wait you, that's what you said, though. That's what yeah, you, no. I watched
3: watch the show. So, I'm not here. Yeah, then
2: I yeah.
4: – first
3: <laughs> off, you're being generous, and I appreciate it. All right, so everybody who's been watching knows that I thought that CPI would come in better than expectations. I was wrong. Um, what I did say on Monday is that if it comes in worse than expectations, Houston, we have a problem. And yeah, the command module blew up yesterday. Uh, the question is now where do we go? I don't and here's here's where my words may have uh, been a little different than, than what I intended on Monday. I don't think that the bull case is dead, but it certainly is pushed off. Um, and it's pushed off by a solid month. Here's why. Uh, we're not going to get any more CPI PPI for a month. You got the Fed coming up next week. There's absolutely nothing in the macroeconomic environment that's going to change, barring a lightning bolt of, say, Ukraine and Russia resolves in some way, which there's no way to predict that. What happens in a month, though, is you do start to get into earnings season. Yes, of course, there's pre-announcements that might come up. We have a couple today that are offsetting each other. That's NuCore and Raytheon. Uh, However, it's really earnings season that's the next battleground to decide where we're going from here. I've been steadfast in thinking that looking at the macroeconomic indicators, earnings are going to hang in there. Um, We haven't had much in the way of pre-announcements, as I said a couple today, but really not much. And the unfortunate thing what this means is we're kind of stuck right here at this 3,900 level. Could we go down to those June lows? Unfortunately, after yesterday's report, we could. I don't think we need to, but we could. Um, We equally could get economic uh, and then a month from now profit reports that move things the other way. But for the next month, we're kind of stuck. It's not where I want to be, but it's where I am. So, Joe,
2: you also made some moves ahead of that CPI report. We're going to get to those a little bit later. But I just want to talk to you about what we saw yesterday. Had our data team pull some stats. The S&P lost $1.5 trillion in market cap in yesterday's
1: sell-off. Where are you at today after that big sell-off? So, I think at the top of the show, when you asked the question uh, whether we believe that it's a time to buy stocks or you take out the low, I don't think, Frank, the answer to that is any different now, <coughs> today, than it was at the beginning of the quarter. I don't think there's any difference. I think without question, the near term is perilous for the market. Scott Minard spoke about that on overtime with Scott Wapner. He spoke about the potential for there to be a potential 20% lower in the near term. If you are a long-term investor, there is enough evidence within the economy and the market to suggest this isn't 1973, this isn't 2000, this isn't 2007. We're not at the beginning of a multi-year bear market. So if you're a long-term investor, that 20% down is really not going to matter to you. If you're more of a trader, if you're more oriented uh, where your time frame is in the short term, Jimmy's right. The market is in a perilous position right now. If you take out the intraday low from last week at 38.86, that's where the algos will engage and create a lot of selling pressure. And I think the last point on yesterday that's really important, Frank, It wasn't a retail event. There wasn't panic selling. All it was was a recalibration of of the hope and the expectation that inflation would come out better and all the systematic, non-discretionary, rules-based algo funds that had been buying the market ahead of the inflation report, they quickly had to neutralize those positions and it led to a precipitous downfall in the market. And then, oh, by the way, at the end of the day, you have all these leveraged ETFs that are hedging in the option market and have to commit at the end of the day and exacerbates the move down. But it wasn't a panic selling retail event. And I think that's important for people to understand. Everything going on right now in the market has to do with short term derivative trading. All
2: right, some, some definitely some things to talk about. Speaking of people talking to Scott Wapner's at Future Proof yesterday, spoke to Jeffrey Gunlock. He said he's becoming more bearish, actually forecasting that the S&P could fall down to 3,000, uh, about a 20% uh, decline. Carrie, where are you at? Are you feeling more bearish, or do you feel like this is the bottom and we're going to bounce up from here?
4: Well, Frank, it's hard to imagine that Jeff Gunlock can be more bearish. I thought he was already extremely bearish. <laughs> but um, on where we've been. We've been saying for a while that the market is stuck in a trading range. It's between the June lows and the August highs. And that's where we still are. And as Joe pointed out, there were a lot of programs that kicked into gear yesterday and started selling and it picked up the pace, drove the market down. It's hard to imagine what would have been the case if we were at 8.2 Four or 8.5. I mean, it's what would have happened if it was 7.9? These are numbers that are all bunched close together. And it was an interesting response. Does it change what we thought was 75 basis points for the Fed move? No, we still think it's 75 basis points. But the market is so queasy and so sensitive right now that anything that diverges from what they're hoping and expecting and safety in that case becomes just fodder for collapse and decimation. Uh, we had been buying some stocks and selling some stocks over the past month. Names that had performed well, even ones that you know, we like, Goldman likes. O'Reilly, for example, we had taken some profits because they had been strong names and uh, put applied that money into some stocks that we thought were much more attractively priced today. Of course, that didn't help yesterday. Everything went down. And we think that we have to get through a few more months of seeing what the Fed does and where inflation goes. And if earnings hold up, as Jimmy said, we're going to find that out. And that's why we're trading in this range. And we're just sort of treading water, hoping to keep our head above water.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of investors feel that way right now, especially with the expectations of an increasingly hawkish Fed. Steve Weiss, where are you at? I'm where I've been, Frank. It's where <laughs> you your comfort zone right time. now. Which is still bearish. <laughs> yeah.
5: I'm bearish. Look, I'd love to be bullish. You know, I'd love to be making a lot of money in the market, but that's just not the facts that we're being dealt here. And, you know, what I've heard so far is, and I've got tremendous respect for, for my fellow panel members, but I heard Jimmy, who uh, who is seemingly a perma now be data dependent, and he's waiting for next month's number. I heard Joe, who's a fantastic investor, saying, hey, if you're a long-term investor, what's another 20%? Well, 20% going back long-term is three years' performance. So I don't know what the rush is to buy stocks when you've got the Fed out there saying, we've got one job, and it's going to cause you pain. And that job is to slow down the economy. And you're seeing it. So if you're waiting for earnings to come down, wait no longer. And by the way, wake up, because they have been coming down. And if you didn't have energy up 280% in their earnings in the last quarter and banks or financials up recovering, you'd have down earnings. As a matter of fact, you do have down earnings. So you have consumer discretionary down 18%. I've said it multiple times. You're having earnings now for the next quarter down over 5%. You've had recession mentioned on the last conference call for earnings, 240% out of 500 S&P companies. Now, whether recession happens or not, I don't think it matters. If that's the tone of the market, if that's the nervous state in the market, the stocks aren't going up. So I don't know if they go to 3,000, but they will go lower. It's impossible for them to go higher when you have earnings that are gonna come down. And by the way, the market is overvalued. So even after yesterday, it's overvalued. BECAUSE EARNINGS ARE COMING DOWN AND THE multiple IS STAYING WHERE IT IS. SO, LOOK, YOU KNOW, THERE'S NO RUSH TO BUY STOCKS. YOU'VE HAD 20,000 OPPORTUNITIES TO BUY BOEING, ONLY TO SEE IT GO UP AND COME RIGHT BACK DOWN. OR PICK ANOTHER STOCK. YOU'VE MISSED NOTHING. VIRTUALLY ALL STOCKS ARE LOWER THAN WHERE THEY WERE. SURE THERE ARE SOME THAT HAVE DONE WELL. SO JUST SIT IN YOUR HANDS AND, YOU KNOW WHAT, BUY THE TWO YEAR, GET A 4%, YOU KNOW, RETURN ON YOUR, YOU KNOW, mm-hmm. PAYMENT that's tax advantage from state and local, and you'll
2: do much better and sleep much better at night. There you go. Some financial advice there. By the way, Weiss, you saying, starting off this, uh, this statement right here, that you want to be bullish, we have receipts. You actually did want to be bullish. We're going to get to that in a second. But, Jim, I'm going to come back to you just really quickly. Um, Wells Fargo out with a note saying that we are at peak hawkishness and inflation, music to a lot of people's ears. Also, Funds for Ask Tom Lee saying inflation past peak thesis, challenge with the August CPI, obviously. But he remains his view remains that inflation is still set to fall.
3: Look, I'm of that view, too. (laughs) Steve, I hear you. I can't I can't come back at Steve because he's been right. And what he just said was right. Um, But I'm of this camp that here's here's where the conundrum lies. All right. That CPI report was awful. Just flat-out awful, all right? And on Monday, I was thinking this thing could come in 7.9%, maybe even lower. What was I basing that on? I was basing that on gasoline futures. I was basing it on commodity futures like corn, cotton, lumber, copper. You look at these charts, they're all back down to where they were a year ago. It's basing it on freight costs, prices paid service. I mean, there's a lot of data, but at the end of the day, the CPI stank. It sucked, Okay. And so now when I'm I'm listening to people like you just say um, agree with me that inflation should be coming down, I have to kind of soften my tone a little bit because the analysis that I do, that I did, turned out the wrong result. Now, I'm thinking about is there a different way of analyzing this? Is there something else going on here? Of course, I see what's going on with rent. It's not like we didn't, you know, didn't see that's what's going on with rent. But to the point, and just to answer the question, okay, if you look at all of those things that went into the CPI uh, last month, that should show that inflation has peaked. As for peak hawkishness, you know, look, I don't know if Jay Powell comes out with 75 or 100 basis points. I'm not sure that number matters as much as the fact that he's just not taking his foot off the gas pedal. And that's where things for me have changed from Monday to today is that there's no way he's going to take his foot off the gas pedal. Forget cutting. That was never in my playbook. It was a question of whether he would take his foot off the gas pedal. As for earnings, here's just, here's just a fact looking from fact set. Earnings for next year have come down by a little over 3% since June. That's just a fact. That's from FactSet. You can look it up. Is that a calamitous decline? No. But will it go further is the question. And unfortunately, can't be answered, not for another four weeks. So we got to sit and wait. It's a, it's a crummy period to be in. It's not fun. Sometimes investing really isn't fun. And sometimes, folks, you got to put up with years like this in order to get to the promised land on the other side. Will that promised land be October, December, January? I don't know, but it's going to be probably in a matter of months, not in a matter of years. All right, Jim, softening your
2: tone, but you came back with the bass in your voice at the, the data, end. I like, the data I like to see that. The data is what it is. So really quick, we're going to round the horn one time. Just just one word answer, 75 or 100 on September 21st?
3: I think 75 because I think all the Fed governors and, and, and speakers have said that's a big move. That's, that's more that's than big one move. word,
2: Jim. Joe, over to you, 75 or 100?
3: 75.
2: Carrie?
4: 75.
2: Weiss?
5: 75. But I want to say one more thing about what Gunlock said. Gunlock said huh. they should go 25. And this is why I'm even negative on, even more negative on the market. And I agree with Jeffrey, is that you don't know, and this is where the bulls sort of get tripped up in my view. It takes a while for rate hikes to filter through the system, to hit the economy. So Gunlock's advocating 25 bips because he thinks that damage will be done to the economy already, so you don't need to go 75 and see what happened. So I agree with that, but I think the Fed's gonna get there. So look, you you know, bulls tend to say, hey, this is what I've got today. Jim, this is the first time he really said, I don't know what earnings will be going forward, and I commend him for that. And that's the right. reality. We don't know, but the trends are
2: negative. So, Weiss, you said so 20 to 25, but I'm glad you have a good member. we got some receipts for you coming up. All right, tech stocks rebounding slightly today after the sector posted its worst day since September of 2020. Steve Weiss, I going to come back over to you. On Monday, you actually made a move. You did say you wanted to be bullish. You actually sold your PSQ holdings. That's an ETF that shorts the triple Qs on Monday ahead of CPI. Any regrets?
4: That was a mistake.
2: Of
5: course I have regrets, but I, but I, I also owned uh, Q's, and I have no regrets about selling 98% of those. Actually, some just got messed up and wound up being in uh, in the portfolio uh, when CPI came out, so I sold them as soon as the print happened. But look, you know, the, the idea here is to stay solvent and to risk manage every single day. So if you did have a blowaway number, and I said on the show on Monday that You know, I don't know where I'm going to be come the end of the day, but I wasn't willing to make a bet on the inflation number because there's no way of predicting it as we saw by the market reaction. So, look, I'm just trying to trade where I can trade. Um, Mm -hmm. Not a lot, not as much as it sounds, and uh, make money where you can make money and prevent, more importantly, prevent myself from losing a lot of money. But, you know, I've lost like
2: everybody else this year, despite my view. You just can't help it if you're involved at all. Carrie, I love that you just chimed in right there. Carrie, I actually want to put up a chart. I hope you can see it, too. We have a chart right here showing tech recently, uh, month to date, and its correlation. It had a positive correlation with the rising rates, actually, for a lot of the month. That correlation ended yesterday. You're looking at it right here. You see rising rates and also cloud, the triple Qs, uh, cybersecurity, all able to rise during those rising rates. Spoke to a lot of analysts. They believe that this rise of people, you know, buying the dip. They believe that we had found the bottom. Clearly, we have not found the bottom quite yet. Carrie, where are you at on tech? Do you believe that we're pretty close to the bottom now?
4: Well, it's interesting, Frank. You brought that up because um, yesterday on Squawk Box, I said one of the most interesting things we had seen the prior day was that energy and tech were the best performers, and you don't often see that, or certainly not in the last you know nine months or so, because energy has rallied and tech has been weak, and that has been you know the nature of the market. The Nasdaq, the bid tech, and the you know ultra high price tech has been going down. We may have gotten to a point where enough of the technology stocks have been crushed And and if you just look across the landscape, you know, it's it's littered with corpses. And those companies that are actually earning money and have brought the guidance down, and you you look at a name, I know we'll probably talk about these later, but Twilio or PayPal, tech companies who have taken their numbers and reset them and tried to adjust their costs, there may be opportunities in many of them. Now, we we own a number of technology stocks and we try to stick with those that are actually showing real earnings that we feel are, it is sustainable and have some degree of visibility uh, and. And to have those stocks be leaders in a market with energy, when the market is this jittery, says something to us about how perhaps the decline in a number of these names may be sufficient, maybe to start to nibble for people who don't own them. We happen to own a number of these these stocks and believe they can go higher because the consumer stocks have gone up so much relative. They're fairly expensive at this point.
2: Now, you're talking about nibbling. I want to ask you about one of the stocks you do own, which is Meta, hitting a 52-week low today. Also down almost a percent, a percent, a quarter right now. With inflation remaining somewhat persistent, at least, do you believe this is a stock that can move higher? Is that one of the stocks you were talking about?
4: So with Meta, it's a case where many people, including ourselves, think that on an earnings basis if you strip out you know the cash and some of their uh, uh, ventures that the stock is cheap on a valuation basis but what you're facing is a trend the trend against TikTok and there are all types of negative biases against Meta that are hurting it and of course advertising advertising in recessions often come down and so people want to stay away from it but if you just look at their cash flow generation and where the stock trades relative to that and their their eps you have to say there's some value there but you're not going to realize that in a market that wants to really hate anything that is driven by ad spending when they're seeing ad spending perhaps start to fall off a cliff if there's a recession but we think it's at this price you're not uh you're not seeing a lot of downside. I wish we didn't own it, of course. The stock's down too much this year. I mean, no one loves it. Who owns it?
2: All right. Well, now let's kick to you this tech conversation. Let's bring in Courtney Garcia, Payne Capital Management Senior Wealth Advisor. Courtney, thank you for being here, especially after the action we saw in the markets yesterday.
6: Of course. It's my pleasure.
2: So I got to ask you the question I've been talking to a lot of analysts about. It. I'm going to ask it to you. Is this the time to buy the dip or do you believe that tech especially is going to retest lows?
6: Um, yeah, so actually I see this is two different questions, which I'll answer. Um, tech specifically, um, we always own tech as part of our firm, right? But it's definitely not something that I'm over allocating to right now. And I think what you have to take a look at is regardless of us going into recession or What's happening with the Fed next week, um, we are going to be going into a slowing growth environment and rates are going to be higher than they have been over the last decade. And tech is just not well positioned to continue to outperform in that kind of environment. And when you take a look at something like the ARK Innovation Fund, which has really been the poster child for your innovative tech. Um, you look at the top 20 holdings, only three of those actually have a positive P.E. ratio. And even then, they are so much more expensive than the market. And I think that's the problem with your tech firms is that those kind of valuations are not going to do well in this kind of environment. So are we buying the dip? I see as a separate question. Yes, it's just not necessarily in tech, right? Because I think there's plenty of opportunities that you can look at, whether it's in energy or healthcare or things that'll do well in this environment. But we continue to believe likely the lows are already in for the year. Could we go lower from here? Sure, we can. But I think your, your risk to the upside is still pretty great because um, a lot of your money managers are still pretty underinvested right now. And if we do start to see any positive data come out, there's still a lot of upside, I would say, more so than downside at this point in time.
2: So when we talk about tech, a lot of times we talk about as this broad area, but obviously there's different areas of tech. Let's just focus on mega cap tech right now. Is this an environment, inflationary, um, where mega cap tech can actually outperform other areas of tech? A lot of times these are what we call those blue chip stocks that are almost utilities in many cases.
6: Yeah, right. It's going to depend on the specific company. So take like an Apple, for example, which does have like more hardware. They have a lot of cash on the balance sheet. I think they'll probably hold up better than some of your companies. Like take, for example, a Tesla, which can obviously get lumped in there, that's something that is extremely expensive right now and may not may not fare as well. So I think you want to look at your companies that have pricing power and good cash on their balance sheets. So if you are looking in tech, look for those ones specifically that have those
2: two areas. I was actually looking at myself for payment stocks, MasterCard and Visa in the green today, um, kind of resisting some of that rate pressure. But with inflation, do you expect those kind of companies to get hit when we talk about both payment and fintech?
6: Yeah, and again, it's it's really going to come down to the valuation on a lot of these, um, but ultimately. Um, you can find opportunities in tech, but I don't think just as a broad sector, it's it's not where you want to jump in with two feet from now, right now. So you can pick and choose which companies might do well. But as a broad sector, I think there's other areas that are going to continue to outperform rather than your tech or your fintech companies.
2: All right, Courtney Garcia, we got to leave the conversation there. Thank you for being here and being our halftime headline. Thanks for having me. Up next, quality stocks to consider in this beaten down market. We have a list of names we'll debate them. That's coming up next on halftime. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Goldman Sachs out with a basket of quality stocks to own. Among the names are Home Depot, United Health, and many more. Joe, actually, all of you have some ownership on some of these names. But, Joe, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, one of those stocks is Alphabet. Another one, EOG Resources. Uh, the criteria here is strong balance sheets, stable sales growth, low EBIT deviation. Do you believe right now in this environment there is a such thing as quality, or is it just all a wild card?
1: No, I think there is in this environment um – a, a leaning towards quality and, and having companies in your portfolio that, that represent that. Um, how is it exactly you look at quality, Frank? I think is very important. Obviously, uh, I introduced an index that's called the Quality Momentum Index, so it's got <laughs> those two factors. And identifying quality itself, what's important and integral to me is looking, as Goldman Sachs has discussed, things like return on equity, debt to equity, and annualized sales growth. So. You you invest in quality. You probably trade a little bit more in momentum. That's what I do. You combine the two factors together, and I believe over the long term you're going to improve your performance. But in the environment that you're in right now, you without question need to lean towards quality. And a lot of the companies like EOG, uh, Alphabet, and United Healthcare that's represented in the report. These are companies that I own. These are companies that are in the JOT ETF. And it's warranted given the overall climate we're in right now.
2: Yeah, a lot of good stocks in here. Kara, uh, you own two of them actually, United Health and O'Reilly. Can you give us your thesis on O'Reilly? You're not concerned about inflationary pressures hitting uh, people buying things for their cars?
4: First of all, we own so many of the names on this list. Actually, most of them that I got a little scared people would think I work at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> but the. Um, but, but on O'Reilly, you know, O'Reilly has been such a good performer this year that I think I mentioned that uh, we trimmed it. And people still drive, and perhaps they haven't bought new or used cars because the prices have gone up so much, but they have to fix their old cars. Uh, I mean, that's the thesis for the current environment. Right. But it's also a stable grower, nice cash flow. Uh, it's not a cheap stock right now. We still own a, a big position, not as much as we used to, though.
2: So one question about O'Reilly, and I I have a lot of friends that I've been talking about that, uh, talking about that with this with them. I can't get all my uh, pronouns right. Uh, I have a lot of friends that moved far away from their jobs because they thought this work from home thing was going to just last forever. now some of them have to move back. And a lot more people I know are actually getting back on public transportation and the train. Um, A lot of the headwinds, excuse me, the tailwind for O'Reilly was that everybody was in the car. They didn't want to take public transportation. Worried about that declining?
4: You know, that's an interesting thought. I... No, because there are still many people who are working hybrid and, you know, in terms of driving, it's much more of a factor whether people are needing to replace parts in their car and need to maintain cars. And if they own them longer and people are owning their cars longer, that That will be a more important factor than this question of whether they're getting back on public transportation for the time being anyway.
2: Yeah, just a question for me and my friends. Jim, I'm going to come over to you. Another personal anecdote. I'm redoing my bathroom. Home Depot is one of the stocks on here. (laughs) Um, Where do you see Home Depot at now with this higher mortgage rate environment and people just aren't buying houses at the same rate they were?
3: Yeah, I I own Home Depot. Um, Look, it's it's one of these ones that much as with the market overall, you're just going to have to wait it out. You can certainly sell it here and look for other opportunities. I don't think this is the right price to sell it at. And by the way, that's how I feel about the market overall. But, Frank, if I can, I'd like to take this discussion in a slightly different direction. Go for it. Everybody has said, and we have to agree, quality matters. If you're a portfolio manager, of course you're going to build the core of your portfolio in quality. One of the factors that is sometimes looked at as the opposite of quality is debt as in companies that are indebted are in somehow lower quality. And in the environment we're in, this presents an opportunity for stock picking because that's not a broad brushstroke that you can use. Where companies are indebted and they use that debt to build free cash flow generating assets, whether it's acquisitions or corporate capex, that can be a win. And there's a lot of companies right now that are either in a high free cash flow position or inflecting into a high free cash flow position that gives them the ability to pay down debt and buying those stocks where they've been beaten up. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Cleveland Cliffs, Paramount, Boeing. Now, you have to have the core of your portfolio quality, but you can do some stock picking in some of these leveraged companies that have been beaten down where the market just hasn't cared about the free cash flow. All
2: right, Weiss, don't mean to leave you out, but the two years not on this list. All right, coming up, energy, the best-performing sector today, but a big warning about demand headed into year-end. How the committee is positioning from here. Halftime back after a break.
6: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away?
2: All right, welcome back to Hab. Energy, the best-performing sector today, up 3%. Meanwhile, the IEA saying oil demand will grind to a halt in Q4 as the economic slowdown deepens. Weiss, you actually just bought back EQT.
5: I did. I bought it on Monday, unfortunately. It would have been a much better buy yesterday. Um, look, I, I believe in natural gas in terms of the uh, supply-demand characteristics of it. And uh, you know, I traded it before. traded Devon before. In retrospect, to, you know, maybe I should have bought back Devon as well, but didn't. So I think as you get into the cold months, particularly in Europe, you're going to see uh, demand just increase because of what's happening in Ukraine. Um, but it's going to be tough. I mean, lots of people are going to be lowering the temperature in their homes, so they'll be wearing coats there. Uh, but I, th- I think you can trade up into the winter. I don't want to be there through the winter. Because you always have to sell these in advance of the events. Uh, but the other thing I'd like to comment on, Frank, is that uh, I'm glad you have a lot of friends. Uh, that was refreshing to hear. Not that I had <laughs> doubts. Did you have okay. doubts, Rachel? that up. I think he's feeling envious. I, I had no oh, doubts. Are you feeling envious? But uh, I had no doubts.
2: Well, listen, man. You know, I was just comfort in hearing it. I, I'm your friend. We'll talk about it off air, though. All right, moving on to the energy trade, Um, IEA coming out with its forecast. JP Morgan with a contrary view, actually. Their commodity strategists say they see uh, Brent actually rising about five more dollars a barrel in Q4. Um, Also, uh, WTI also rising as the global economy actually avoids recession. Joe, you have a lot of energy ownership yourself, EOG, EQ2, EQT, and Pioneer Natural Resources. Where are you at on this energy demand situation? Is it completely levered to a global slowdown, or are there some other factors?
1: All right, so let's talk about performance, about energy equities, first of all, year to date. So far, best performing sector over the last five days, best performing sector. Month to date, second best performing sector. Quarter to date, even with the recovery we've seen in technology, second best performing sector. You cannot remove energy from your portfolio. I'm not making a call on the direction of oil. What I'm saying is that it needs to be in the portfolio because it's a hedge against a problem that occurs in the winter in terms of supply constraints. It's a hedge against concerns related to the European gas situation. It needs to be in the portfolio, and quite candidly, carried at an overweight. The JOT ETF carries energy at a 10% weighting right now. Personally, as you said, Frank, I own EOG. I own PXD, I own EQT. These are names that right now are prioritizing the shareholder. Their focus is not on returning capital to the wellhead. It's returning capital to the shareholder. Energy is a must in terms of portfolio sector inclusion right now, and it has really nothing to do whether the price of oil is going up or down.
2: Jim, you have some energy ownership as well, Kinder Morgan, ExxonMobil. Um, how important are earnings that are coming up to your your faith in the energy trade
3: right now? Uh, not that important. They're br- they're probably going to be fine. That's, I'm not saying they're going to be bad, uh, but this is a long term hold. I mean, this is this is where I disagree with Steve on this being something you sell into the winter, uh, simply because before Russia invaded Ukraine, there was a very clear long term uh... imbalance between supply versus demand with what's gone on over the last seven months Uh, that's only going to get worse. Um, You know, whether it's shut-ins in Russia that will uh, make it very difficult to restart or in some cases uh, impossible to restart those flows, we are going to be in a supply deficit for quite some time. That's been papered over. There's been a Band-Aid approach of let's just drain from the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserves. Guess what? That's at the lowest level in almost 40 years. Can't keep doing that. Uh, So there's a real problem here that eventually, I don't care if it's this quarter, to your question, or next year, you're going to see higher energy prices and these stocks are going to reflect that as well.
2: All right. Speaking of energy, don't miss the CEO of Chenier Energy coming up on The Exchange with Brian Sullivan today at 1 Eastern. All right. Let's now get to the headlines with Bertha Coombs. Hey there, Bertha.
7: Hey, Frank, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Three Iranian nationals are responsible for an international ransomware conspiracy, according to a recently unsealed DOJ indictment. The cyber attacks targeted hundreds of corporate and government victims around the world, including power utilities in the U.S. Officials say the scheme was for personal gain and not at the behest of the Iranian government. West Virginia's legislature passed a near-total abortion ban Tuesday, making West Virginia the latest state to pass a ban since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. The bill passed by the Republican majority includes narrow exceptions for rape and incest while making physicians who perform abortion procedures potentially subject to discipline. And the shooting death of rapper P B Rock may have been spurred in part by social media images. Los Angeles police say that Instagram and Twitter posts made shortly before the shooting showed the jewelry of the rapper was wearing and also tagged his location. Police say a quote extensive amount of jewelry was taken from the P and Rock from P and Rock in that deadly robbery and arrest has not yet been made. Halftime returns after this.
2: All right, timing out for our calls of the day. First up, CSX and Union Pacific both getting downgraded to market perform from outperform at Bernstein. However,
3: analysts say it is not a call on the possibility of a railroad strike. Jim, you own Union Pacific. Uh, yeah, I do own Union Pacific. I discussed this also on Monday as well, that this strike is a, uh, a big potential. It's something that will eventually be resolved. The problem is not so much for Union Pacific and the other railroads. It's for the economy at large. I mean, this is the last thing our, our fragile economy needs at this point in time. But again, relevant to these stocks, you know, this is something that they will get through. And when the economy recovers, uh, all the factory building, all the supply chain onshoring, infrastructure spending that's going on, you need the railroads to transport all that material. Materials Still have strong labor markets, which begets consumption. The railroads are going to be fine. Uh, You just got to get past this strike. So long-term hold here? Long-term hold. All right. Next up, Merck upgraded
2: to a buy rating at Barenberg. Analysts actually saying this is a low-risk value option in the pharma
1: sector. Joe, you're in this one. Good spot to buy it here as well. It's pulled back right up against the 200-day moving average, which sits down at around 84.29. I've owned Merck since the mid 70's I believe this is a company that offers the perfect hybrid between offense and defense works in this environment and clearly healthcare over the last couple of years it's been ignored by investors and certainly with a significant valuation discount of nearly 20% relative to the S&P that's where it began 2022 I think you want to take advantage of that but with the defensive positioning that you need right now in the market uh, Merck is is clearly one of the leading names to own in the healthcare sector. Carrie, over to you. What are you th- what are you thinking about healthcare right now?
4: Well, a comment on on healthcare really needs to look at different types of healthcare. So, in the biopharma pharma area, it's all about whether a company has a drug in development that will be approved by the. FDA and it will treat some ailment, some unmet disease um, need. And unfortunately, what's going on right now, in part because of labor shortages, is that every clinical trial is being drawn out because there's not enough people who can take the blood and process it and process the people and and get um, the patients in clinical trials back, you know, into the hospital and have normal operations and the normal conduit of how clinical trials need to operate, there are there can be 10,000 patients in a trial. And so if you go from this is going to be done in a year to this is going to be done in two years, that slows down the whole process. And I think that should, should and might be weighing on all of the uh, drug and, and biotech companies today. So that's just a comment I would make sure people are aware of.
2: All right, Kerry, another one of your holdings, Raymond James upgrading PayPal to outperform from market perform. Uh, thesis here is that this is actually the kind of stock that you want to own right now, saying PayPal is exactly the type of stock you want to own in this tape. Defensive growth driven by secular tailwinds, significant free cash flow generation, clean balance sheet, et cetera. Uh, shares up more than a percent right now. Carrie, do you believe this thesis and, and agree with it?
4: Yeah, I, I do agree with that and believe uh, that this will happen. What we've seen with PayPal is that stock came down so much, so hard, that almost all the people who have lost money in PayPal are out of it. There are an awful lot of new buyers who who bought it over the last couple of months. They are happy. They're making money. It's a stock that has a really nice looking chart today. They found religion. They're cutting costs. They're committed to, committed to operating margin improvement. They're activists in the name and they um, they're starting to see a renewal of double digit you know mid-teen sales growth um heavy free cash flow they're buying back shares and so yes we think that paypal can trade up much higher and of course the multiple has been cut uh tremendously over the last couple of years
2: yeah tremendously uh about 66 percent off of its high but as to your point a uh, month to date up about three and a half percent all right stay with halftime mike santoli joins us next with his midday work Welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us from the NYSE with his midday word. And Mike, right now the S&P hovering just above that 3,900 support level.
8: It is. Uh, you know, we, we did finish above there by a little more than 1% yesterday. And, you know, after a big down day like yesterday, you often have a morning of a lot of tentative seesaw type action. We did undercut yesterday's low in the early trading. Now we have this mild bounce. Tough to really infer too much from it in terms of where we go from here. But for now, uh, you know, it's this unusual 4% down day that only brought the market back to where it was about a week ago. Uh, So you still, at least if you squint, have this little uptrend in place since June. I think the bond market did a massive amount of repricing of the speed at which the Fed is going to get to its destination and lifted the likely terminal rate. Today, it's pausing. And so I think as long as the, the Treasury market essentially feels like it's, uh, it's, it's where it's supposed to be for now, uh, stocks can kind of hash things out. Market breadth is pretty indecisive, though. I think in general, the action is, uh, is very much wait and see. And maybe that's what we're going to be doing, Frank, until next week when we do get the Fed meeting. So, how
2: much of this is emotion? As you mentioned, we have a Fed meeting coming up on September twenty-first, the autumnal equinox. Maybe that's creating some animal spirits. Who knows? Um, but how much of this is emotion? Yesterday, we saw almost double the normal vo- or the thirty-day average of the volume on the S and P.
8: Yeah, and it was ninety-five or so percent volume to the downside. It was a real liquidation. I think a part of that again is because we kind of levitated by five percent is this low conviction rally into the CPI number. And so, to me, it was more about like, let me just. You know, take my bets off uh, in general here. I do think seasonally it's prone to having these sort of swings. And what happens when we've been in this high volatility uh, environment for multiple months, it takes relatively smaller swings in the indexes to get sentiment and positioning to extreme levels. Uh, and so I think we've seen that recently. We're in this range within a range. Uh, it's, it's certainly not inconsistent with a really messy bottoming process, but it's tough to bet that, in fact, we're done with the downside for now, unfortunately.
2: All right, range within a range. Mike Santoli's midday phrase. Yeah. I like that one. All right, straight ahead. Joe's making some moves. We'll talk to him about the Dow stock, about the Dow stock he recently added to his portfolio. Plus, we are exactly two weeks away from CNBC's delivering alpha. Jim, you were just talking about it. Returning in person on September the 28th, one week from the Fed. Uh, To register, scan the QR code you see here, and halftime is back right after this. All right, welcome back to Half. Joe, coming over to you. You said you were going to buy Disney,
1: and you did it. Yeah, I made some moves on Monday, one of which was to begin to build a small position in Disney. Um, I certainly applauded what I heard from CEO Bob Chapek over the weekend, identifying another growth engine for the company beyond Disney+. Plus. Obviously, Dan Loeb appreciating uh, what Bob Chapek is identifying here as an opportunity for the company. And that's ESPN. That's the vehicle in which the growth opportunity may come. It might come in the form of sports betting. Uh, but certainly I think this is something to be excited about for the very first time with this company. All right. If you'd like we be over the weekend, a programming note, don't miss a CNBC exclusive interview
2: with Disney CEO Bob Chapek tomorrow on Squawk on the Street with David Faber. That's at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I want to go around one quick time on Media Stocks. Jim, you own Paramount. Um, yeah. A lot of talk about their streaming service, uh, you know, just the viability of that. A lot of competition. Where are you at with Paramount? Um, looking like it's hitting a 52-week low today.
3: Yeah, it's, it's not a good week. Um, look, the viability of the streaming business is perfectly fine. What the concern is right now is that they're having to spend on content. Um, I think that's a very short-sighted concern because they've got four billion of cash on the balance sheet and their free cash flow positive from their legacy businesses. And by the way, things like studios are rapidly coming back. Um, so I, I think the market is just, frankly, getting this wrong. Um, the outperformance quarter after quarter in terms of subscriber numbers and staying on track towards profitability uh, shows that this is a good management team that you should have faith in. I do. All right. I want to get to Kerry, but feeling good about
2: Disney as well? I am. All right. Carrie, over to you. You actually own Charter Communications. It also hit a 52-week low.
4: Yeah, Charter has been a very poor stock and I think that what you're seeing across the media landscape is concerns about a couple of things. There's overcrowding, there's too many streaming services, there's a lot of content and content is expensive to create, but there's just too much of it or too much that isn't good. And many of these content streamers are now saying that they want to get into advertising and an advertising platform is just going to suffer. During a, a slowdown in the economy, when really what you want is advertisers step up when business is good, so it's the wrong time to be doing it. It's it's a crowded space, and I think that people's expectations will continue to be too high.
2: Yeah, very crowded. But quick note: She-Hulk on Disney Plus. I'm really enjoying it. Weiss, believe it or not, me and my friends are watching it. I have friends. All right, stay with us. <laughs> Final <laughs> trade. And, and Next. Are you watching it in the bathroom or? <laughs>
0: Are you following the Halftime Report
5: podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
2: All right, welcome back to half. Steve Weiss, we're going to start with you when it comes to final trades.
5: Cash, I just see no reason to move from my position. I had mentioned uh, Porsche and Volkswagen as final trades the last couple times, and I'll stick with those as my largest positions but not putting any new money into the market here.
4: Kerry. Health equity, H-Q-Y. It's the largest health savings plan company, benefits from higher interest rates and more employees. Joe T. Working.
1: Chipotle approaching its high for the year, which is rather remarkable when you think about it. All right, Jim, you got the last word.
3: Uh, GPC, Genuine Parts Napa. We talked about O'Reilly earlier in the Goldman Sachs segment. Uh, This is another high-quality company. Uh, The fundamentals are cars are aging on the roads, and they need to have parts replaced, service done. That's where this company comes in. Uh, Great chart on it, uh, almost at at a new 52-week high almost every day.
2: All right, that's going to do it for halftime. We're going to go to the exchange with Brian Sullivan. Normally, it's Worldwide Exchange, but Brian takes it over right now. Thanks for watching.